So I called this talk How to Become a uh, Social Powerhouse, which is interesting because I started working on it. And then I'm like, because it's been a busy week. And then I'm like, okay, most of what I'm going to talk about is actually not necessarily directly about being a social powerhouse, but we'll tie it in. So um, being a social powerhouse, anyone here think of ways that we can really be the most sociable people, loved by everyone, in the right way, obviously. You don't want to be loved by evil and then not know how Just to say Just act no. like Rabbi Jack. <laughs> no. no, that's wrong. Right? So what's... what's <laughs> So humble, wow. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. guys what I'm going to say, yes, exactly. Everyone should be like me. Okay, we're done. Good night. Right? So what, what are the tools do you think I will tell you two, two things that we can do to really be loved by everyone. One of them is direct and one of them is indirect. So directly, how to be loved by people is when you uh, speak to them, you compliment them, period. That's it. Give them a compliment. Hey, Omri, I love that purple shirt that you're wearing. It's really nice, right? And you might all say, that's the most ridiculous compliment ever. But you know what? Omri feels good, right? Omri, do you feel a bit good right now? He's going to say uh, no. I actually feel pretty bad about it. Right, I told you. Anyway. Good, you know. so, <laughs> I'm kidding. What? You're kidding? No, yeah, yeah I, I do. I appreciate it. If you really mean it, that is, and you're not just using me as an example. No, I really mean it. It's, it's cool amazing shirt, how thing. things work. We, we get excited by a like. You know, someone liked... Oh my gosh, someone liked, I like, who was it? Oh, it was myself. I liked myself. So we get excited about a like. And that's crazy. What is it already? Someone liked what I said and pressed a button. That's it, a button. And that makes me feel good, right? So it doesn't cost us to give compliments, but that is one of the most powerful ways to be loved by the person in front of you. I don't know how you make that food. How do you do it? Can you tell me how you do it? So what's the reason why we can't really give compliments? Anyone have a good idea of why it's so hard for us to compliment? Any thoughts? Because we're not nice. No, I, I have some thoughts. Go for it. Because um, you're not nice. No, I'm kidding. So, um, you know... So you're afraid you might be rejected, but depending on your level of self-consciousness, you also don't, you might, you might have, you, this is, this kind of goes along with the idea of being rejected, but you're afraid that you might be outed as an imposter, right? You're afraid that, you know, you might give a compliment, but maybe the compliment doesn't come off as genuine and it just gets brushed off and, you know, you don't get paid attention to. So, you know, compliments is, compliments are, it depends on your attention, intentions, just like with everything, but... Mm -hmm. You don't want to try to play the bargaining, you know, you know, you don't want to behave very trans, not bargaining, but you don't want to behave very transactionally when it comes to giving compliments. That's true. You want it to be legitimate. That's a very good point. You want it to be real. Some people will not give a compliment because they want it to really be sincere. And if it sounds like I'm trying to gain something from you, I'll avoid making the compliment. Uh, that's true. Um, but I think that even if I'm worried that someone might think of me as gaining something, we have to still compliment because it, it works. People like it. They want to hear it. 
They want to know that they're okay, that they're, you know, accepted, that something that they're doing is nice, that it's wanted. So I think that it's a good point, what you're saying. People avoid it because they want to be coming over as sincere and non-transactional. Um, but I think that there's another point here of why people uh, don't compliment, and that's a lack of self-esteem. Because if I don't feel good enough within myself, I feel hard. It's difficult for me to compliment them because I want that. I wanted that. I wish I could have that popularity. I wish I can have that fame. I wish I can have that car. I wish I can. So it's very hard for me to compliment some, someone because we say, Tov ayin hu yevorach. A good eyed person, a person with a good eye. What does it mean, a good eye? You're able to look at things in a positive light. So you see someone's car and you're like, I wish that person's success with their car. Right? So Tov ayin hu yevorach. You bring blessings into your life when you do that. Not only because you get closer to those people, but also because if you wish it on others, God's going to wish it on you. That's a Jewish belief. So the, the answer to giving compliments, the reasons, the excuses why we don't give compliments, either because it might not look sincere, or there are definitely times where you have to have some element of truth in you. You can't be completely fake, right, Omri? You can't be absolutely completely fake, but you've got to feel it and eventually it's going to be translated into that conversation with that person. This is the way to get close to people, is to compliment them. To go up to them and say, hey, that, that's, that's it. Social powerhouse, complimentary. So that's the first thing. The second thing is indirect. And that's when you're not with them. And it starts also to do with a lack of self-confidence, self-esteem. And it's to do with Lashon Hara. How am I talking about somebody even when they're not around? And that's really the that's really the topic of tonight, Tazria Metzorah, this week's Torah portion, which is all about the idea of Metzorah. So this time that we're in, we're in a time between Passover and Shavuot, as we all know, right? We're counting the Omer. And um, in during this time, Rabbi Akiva lost his, oh, there you go, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a very good book. It's definitely recommended to those that really want to know how to, and I'm sure that he talks about compliments a lot in there. But, um, right, Omri, he does? Yeah, no, he does. I mean, basically, uh, I'm interested in hearing the Jewish perspective, but like, I feel like the way he started it off, it like it reminded me of, other books too, but like exactly like that book. Can I link specifically to the section, uh, to the to the section where he talks about you know a way to get one of the ways to get people to like you is by giving them by listening sincerely, but also giving them like compliments, right? But right, you know, you have to give compliments in a certain way. Anyway, listening I don't mean to listening is so important too. Yeah. So just one second, I'm going to close my door. And... Listening is definitely a good one. So, um, but I think that there's something else, which is indirect. See, we have a rule in Jewish teaching 
מה שיוצא מהלב נכנס ללב. What comes out your heart goes into someone else's heart. And this goes back to the point of sincerity. If you are sincere with what you're saying, you can have two people teaching the same information, the same class. One loves their job, and the kids in the school love that teacher. One hates their job, and the kids in the school hate that teacher. They're both teaching the same thing. Because one, if you, if you love what you do, then you could be saying the same information, but it's not going to go through your heart into somebody else's heart. It, the best form of education is when, it, when you really believe in it yourself. You can't teach values that you don't live by. You can't teach values that you don't have dear to your heart. And once it is close to your heart, it's just going to penetrate straight through to the other person. Right? So much of what we say is to do with our emotions, not just the intellect. When I speak to someone, my emotions need to be also expressed for that person to accept my information. Does this make sense? That this is the only reason why uh, speaking is so... The way to get your information over is to really feel like I mean it. And what's that to do with being indirectly loved by the people around you is because... When, when you're a loving personality, even when they're not, right, even when that person's not around you, then that's going to be translated in your relationship. So being a social powerhouse is actually, even when you're not sociable, it's a lot more to do with when you're not sociable, when you're in your own room, how you're thinking about people. What is your back thought about this friend or that friend or that person? Are you speaking Lashon Hara? Lashon Hara is the key to avoiding that negative language that is a spiral. It goes downhill. How Lashon Hara works is I start talking about one person bad, and then I'm like, oh, this actually helps me because it makes me elevate myself. That's what I think. And bring that person down. And then I go down a spiral where I get used to that. And I, I talk constantly talk. Negativity is contagious within us. And when I start being negative... I, I get contagious with it. And then the next day, I'm also negative. And the next day, I'm a little bit more. And then the next day, I'm a little bit more. Positivity is also contagious within us. If I'm positive, then the next day, it goes up levels. That's why marriage and life and many things can be worked on. Is because the minute you start changing your path, you can start going upwards. Or you can go downwards. It's, it's a spiral. Life's, we get in a habit of certain patterns of the way we speak. So if you want to be a social powerhouse, this is it. It's in your own bedroom. It's when no one's around you. It's what you do when no one's watching. And I think that is something that maybe he doesn't talk about in how to win and, and influence people. But I think that is the, that's where it all starts. Because when you're standing in front of someone, are you, are you angry? Are you negative? Are you positive? It's going to be portrayed into that person's heart. What comes out your heart is going to go into that person's heart. Period. And if you're, you've got anger in your heart, that's what he's going to feel or she's going to feel. If you have love in your heart, that's what they're going to feel. It's, it's simple. So that's exactly uh, why in Judaism, leprosy, uh, Lashonara, is such a big thing. Two Torah portions this week. Tazria and Metzorah, two Torah portions. There's just over 30 verses, 30 psukim on the creation of the universe. That's a pretty big deal. 
right? 30 psukim, 30 verses on the creation of the universe. But when it comes to Lashonara, talking gossip, there's hundreds of verses on it. Why is it so severe? So most people look at it and they say, okay, this is just this is annoying. Judaism with its Lashonara business, you know? That's how most people react. It's like, why is it so obsessed with Lashonara, gossip? Why is it so obsessed with it? And the answer is, for you, more than the person, you know, according to Judaism, you can't speak Lashonara even when the person's not around you. You know that? Even when you, you might say, okay, he's in another country. He doesn't even know about it. Yeah, because Lashonara is not about the person you're talking about. It's about how it affects you much more. It, it destroys you. And, and it destroys you because if you're talking about, bad about this person, you're also talking, about, you're talking bad about me. You're talking bad about everyone. Who says I'm not any different? You know, when I sit with people that speak gossip, I say to myself, the next person they're going to speak about is me. And I wouldn't want them to do that. So the same way I don't want them to do that about me, how do I know? Well, it's a, because the way we are is a habit. It's a pattern. If I'm always negative, then I'm going to continue to being negative. I'm just going to continue being negative. So it's interesting because this is the time between uh, Passover and receiving the Torah. And the Jewish people were on a major high between them and God. In Judaism, there's two aspects of growth that we work on, between us and God and between us and the other humans. So whilst they were receiving the Torah, they got on a super high between them and God. We've mentioned this before. Ben Adam Le Makom was getting really strong. They were like, wow, this is amazing. We are strong between us and God. But then what happens is when that ha- in, in a world like that, you start neglecting humans. You say to yourself, wow, I'm so connected. You can, not that you will. You can. I'm so connected to Hashem. Who cares about the people around me? I can start ignoring the people around me because all that matters to me is my connection to the oneness of God. So that's a, the, the, the biggest danger for someone who's very, very spiritual, very connected to Hashem, is that he can easily neglect his connection with other human beings, his interaction with other human beings. It's very dangerous. And that's exactly what happened to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva and his 24,000 students all passed away during this time. That's why we don't shave. There's a slight mourning period that we're in. Between Passover and Lagva Omer, where we don't shave, we don't listen to music. Beards, can't shave your beard, right? But we don't listen to music and we are in some form of mourning. Why? Because Rabbi Akiva and his 24,000 students died of what? A plague. Interesting. They died of a plague called Askara. But the rabbis say, that's not the reason why they died. That's just a plague. What's the spiritual reason? There's always a spiritual reason behind everything, which is also what I wanted to get to. So the rabbis say, because they didn't respect each other. How can it be? 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva. They were the greatest of the greats. They didn't honor each other well on their level. And they had a plague. You see, the, not, the world would look at it. An atheist would look at that story and say, there was a plague. But in Judaism, we don't do that. We look at a plague and we say, there's a re- deeper reason behind the plague. Right? We look at COVID-19 
we don't just say there's a COVID-19. There's something deeper that's going on behind it. We don't just look for the cure. We look for the spiritual DNA behind it. Because there's something much more. When we try and cure, you see, we, we've got the vaccine now. So that's just dealing with the symptoms. But we're not getting to the core of the problem. We have to get to the core of the problem. So in Judaism, whenever there's a problem in the world, we get to the core. In the times of the Arizal, you know, anyone has been to Safat, you see the Kabbalists that are, right, the stories of the Kabbalists that were buried there. So the Arizal was a big, big rabbi that lived a good few hundred years ago. And he was, he brought Kabbalah back to the world. And he was a big Kabbalist. When anyone would go to him with a certain sickness or something that's wrong with them, their arm hurts, their leg hurts, their body hurts, he wouldn't give them a cure. He would tell them which mitzvah they would need to work on. And that, was, that would be the cure of them. You understand that? He would give them, he would tell them, oh, if your arm hurts, maybe that's, to, he wouldn't say maybe. You're, you're, you've got a problem with your tefillin. Or there's a certain lacking in concentration in your prayer in the morning. Or there's a lacking in kosher. You're not eating kosher. Certain things he would see. In a person, say immediately, it's because there's a mitzvah that that person is like. You know, we have 365 negative mitzvot, meaning don't do's in Judaism, and 248 positive commandments. The 248 positive commandments represent the different limbs in our body. People may argue because scientifically the number's a bit different, but it doesn't make a difference. Judaism has labeled each limb in the, the number, the numerical number of 248, the same number of words we have in Shema. Also, when we say Shema, there's 248 words in them. There's 248 positive commandments. They represent the limbs of our body. And according to Jewish teaching, if there's something wrong in my body, it's actually connected to something spiritual that's missing in me. It's an interesting idea. We get to the core of the problem. There's always a spiritual cause behind it as well as the physical reality that there is, okay? That, so when Rabbi Akiva lost his 24,000 students, everyone looked at it as a plague, but Rabbi Akiva understood of it differently. They didn't respect each other properly. And that's why at this time of the year, we have um, the story of this Rabbi Akiva and everything. It fits in very much with the time of the year. It happened to be at this, the story was nothing to do with it, but it happened to be at this time of the year when we got the Torah, when we were receiving the Torah. And part of receiving the Torah, becoming the Jewish people, is the challenge of being so connected to God, the same problem that Rabbi Akiva had, of being so connected to God, not Rabbi Akiva himself, but his students, right? That you neglect the people around you. So, this ties in to the idea of leprosy as well. So according to Judaism, there used to be, there still is, leprosy is still somewhat going on, right? So it's still a disease that in poor countries, there are, there is still the disease of leprosy. So leprosy is directly connected to Lashonara. Two Torah portions that talks about leprosy. And it's interesting because the Torah doesn't give me a cure a physical cure to leprosy. It doesn't say cut it off. 
although that probably wouldn't help anyway. But, you know, that it doesn't, it doesn't give me a cure. It tells me about the spiritual cure to leprosy. Because according to Judaism, the same with Rabbi Akiva. We don't look at a problem and say, that's the problem. We look at the problem and say, There's a, what's the deeper cause behind the problem? What's the spiritual reason behind the problem? That's how we are meant to look at things. Of course, we can actually go into medicine. We are commanded to, to work with medicine. Verapoyerape is a commandment in Judaism to heal. But at the end of the day, that's not what the Torah is going to do. It's not a book of healing. It's a book which tells me what is the, look deeper, right? Look deeper, look behind the physical reality. In the physical reality, okay, so there's leprosy. But on a deeper sense, it came from Lashonara. And that's something that we learn as well in this week. Very similar to Rabbi Akiva. He had the, the plague, but he looked deeper and said it was Shalot Agu Kavod Zebazeh. There's a famous rabbi, the Chazonish, who died, passed away in the 80s or 90s, right? The Chazonish was one of the greatest rabbis that was there at the founding of Israel, was there even before. And the Chazonish lived in B'nai Brak, big, big rabbi, he's a Kabbalistic rabbi, and he knew everything. He was one of these Kabbalistic rabbis. He knew everything. You would go to him, he'd know everything. And uh, they once asked him, Rabbi, would you be able to tell us the cure of cancer? Whenever someone's sick, he would tell them exactly, even speak to the doctors, tell them exactly what that person does, what needs. Rabbi, will you have a cure to cancer? He says, even if I did, there'll be something else that will come in place because cancer's not the problem. It's where it starts, which is the problem. Right? It's not, it's not the physical problem. There's a spiritual root to the problem. You remove that problem, there'll be another one coming in anyway. And who knows if, I, if cancer's removed, something else which is made way worse will come into the world. Who knows what can come after? He said, even if I did have a cure, a physical cure, there may be something much worse. Here's an interesting point. We learn about Chizkiah HaMelech, Chizkiah the king. There was, he did six things. Three of them, the rabbis praised him for. Three of them, they were upset with him for. What are the three things that Chizkiah HaMelech did that they loved about him? Listen to this. His father was a very bad, did a lot of bad for the Jewish people. Very, very bad. So he dragged his father's bones after he passed away in a, in a certain sense of disrespect. Even though it was his father, he had him pulled on a bed of strings. Okay, there's another whole story behind that. He took the snake that Moses, this was way before Chizkiah, the, the snake that's written in the Torah where Moses used to heal the people, there was a copper snake that he created. You know, on every ambulance, you have the snake on a stick, right? You've seen that on an ambulance? That's from, this is, that's the sign of healing. Why? Because there was a plague 
amongst the Jewish people. And Moshe Rabbeinu put a stick with this copper snake and everyone would look at it and they would do Teshuvah and they would repent and they would get healed. That was how he healed them. So Chizkiah saw that this snake was being used towards idol worship and decided to melt it down and completely disintegrate it into the world. He did that so that no one would serve these, this snake. And there's one last thing that he did. Ganaz Sefer He hid the book of medicine. There was a book of medicine that Chizkiah had. It was dated back to before him. A special book that if anyone would use it, it would have the heal of any sickness in the world. Anyone who got sick, this book would be able to heal you. You just open the book and you see what your problem is and it would have the answer to your problem. Can you imagine? Wouldn't you want such a book? Chizkiah hid it. So there's a big argument amongst the rabbis why he was praised for doing that. Rashi says he was praised because if everyone had this book, if they would have printed this book and made many copies of it, then no one would pray. The minute everyone would get sick is they'll be like, hey, give me the book, give me the book. Right? Instead of praying to try and heal. No one would, everyone would be satiated in their health. So they would say, what do I need God for anyway? No one would try and improve themselves. No one would question themselves. No one would think, oh my gosh, why is this happening to me? Right? They would just say, let's get, give me the book, give me the book. So it was a disconnect from godliness. And if that book would have been promoted, then people wouldn't pray to be healed. Maimonides does not like that uh, answer. He, he looks at it differently. Maimonides was a doctor. And Maimonides explains that if this book was a book of healing, of medicine, then what's wrong with medicine? There's nothing wrong with medicine. That's promoted in Judaism. In Judaism, it's good to be healed. So why would that be a problem? The opposite. Chizkiah would, would be bad for hiding this book, right? It would be wrong for him to hide this book. He should have, he should have promoted this book because he would have healed the world. So Maimonides actually says that the problem wasn't that he had a book of healing because that's a mitzvah in the Torah to heal people, but it was a book of healing that used the wrong way of healing. It wasn't using the right way of healing. Something on those lines. So for that reason, he hid it. But according to Maimonides, natural medicine for sure is something that you should promote, of course. But either way, the message is clear. Rashi is trying to teach me, and the message here is very clear. When there's a sickness, never go to the wrong place and think that the problem is the sickness. Ugh. I wish we have a doctor that can heal it. I wish we could fi fix it. That Yeah, we could, we're going to make the effort to heal it. But don't ever think that that's the root of the problem. That's how we react. That's called like acting like the dog. How does the dog act? When the stick hits him, he goes running to the stick and says, right, he wants the stick. Not the person that's holding the stick. One of the ways of a dog is that when it gets hit with a stick, it runs after the stick, not the one that starts it. That's how we work as well in 
our world as well. When, when there's a problem, what do we do? We run after the problem as opposed to asking, what's the, re- what's the deeper reason here? What's going on here? What are we missing? Where are our values? I'll give you an example. There's a shooting, let's say. God forbid. There's been many. Right? So immediately, where, where was the security? That's how everyone reacts. Where was the security guards? How did he have a gun? How? That's the wrong way of reacting. According to Judaism, the way that we react is, what is the spiritual DNA behind this? It's true. We've got to increase our physical security. We've got to do everything we can. But immediately after something happens, that's the question. No, we've got to get to the core of it. Where is, why, what is wrong with our values? Why is this happening? What's wrong? Right? Getting into the spiritual cause behind it is so much more important than getting to the external cause behind the problem. Because that's how we normally react. You're fighting the stick. What's the spiritual reason behind it? That's the question that we need to ask. So that's the story with Chizkiyah HaMelech. He hid the book of healing. Why? Because if he had that book of medicine, no one one would be looking for the spiritual reasons behind things. They would always say, oh, it's a physical problem. Let's fix it physically. But really... This physical world is a manifestation of a spiritual world. When there's a physical problem, it's because deep down rooted, there's a spiritual problem as well. There's a whole Talmud, a list in the Talmud, a list of things that proves this idea. We never only look at the physical causes. We look at the spiritual reasons behind it. Now, according to Judaism, someone can physically hurt himself, eat. Why, am I, why am I unhealthy? Because I eat bad, because I eat unhealthy. That can happen. So you might tell me that's nothing to do with a spiritual problem. I have the physical ability to damage myself for sure. But even if I do make those choices, what caused me to make that choice is something I need to ask. What's the spiritual reason that got into my brain that caused me to make that choice. What was I watching? What was I seeing? What influence did I have? What friends do I have? These are the, these are the questions, right? It's the spiritual questions I need to ask. So here's a whole Talmud, okay? This is a very interesting Talmud. I'm going to slowly read different stories. So there's a Talmud in Megillah 27b, the Talmud of Tractate of Megillah, which is about Purim, 27b. And in this Talmud, there's a list of many, many rabbis that were asked, How did you have such a long life? How were you zocher? How did you merit to have such a long life? Many, many rabbis, you should look at Jewish history. Many rabbis lived for many years, 90, 100 years. The Chafetz Chaim, Reb Chaim Kanievsky of today, may he live for Many more years. He's already well over 90. Rabbi Vadi Yosef. All the big rabbis of each generation, they live for many years. There have been cases where they've lived for very short, like the Ramchal, the Ramah. Ramchal lived for 37 years. I think the Ramah, Ramosha Isilis, the head of the Ashkenazic authority, of, of Halachic authority, he lived for 30-something years, wrote the most extensive works and lived for only 30 years. 
Can you imagine? So there are many great rabbis that live for a long time. And the students would go to them and say, Hey, Rabbi, how, how did you live for so long? Now, that question in a spiritual world can be asked, but in a physical world, you can't ask them. How did I live long? Because I was lucky. How did I live long? Because I was healthy. In a, in, a, in a physical only world, then you're going to get physical answers only. How did you live long? Because you physically were doing the right things. Well, I could give you a list of hundreds of people that are physically healthy and suddenly they lose their life at the age of 30. There's lists, hundreds. There's hundreds of people that get killed at a certain age. So No one's guaranteed to live long. So there's a list in the Talmud of hundreds not hundreds, but many, many rabbis that were asked this question. How did you live long? And each one of them gave different answers. I want to read you the answers that they gave. But what, the, what we do see is, number one is that they were looking for spiritual reasons behind it. You might say that this is, this is not humble of them. When you go up to someone and say, how did you live long? Right? It's not humble of them. Yeah, because if you're looking at the spiritual reasons behind it, they want to help others to live long. They want to help others to find the spiritual reasons behind how they can be successful. So this is the language. They asked Rabbi Zakai, one of the rabbis of the Talmud. His students asked him, How did you live so long? He says back to them, Never in my life did I go within four amot of prayer near the bathroom. I never prayed a word within four meters of where I pray. I never went to the bathroom within four meters of where I pray. Never. Okay, interesting little tidbit here. But he continues. I also... I did something else which was good in my life, unique. I didn't call my friends a name. I didn't call them a name. And I never annulled Kiddush. So he says, I never went to the bathroom and I prayed. I didn't call people names. I didn't you know, call them nicknames. I never in my life stopped doing Kiddush. I always, my whole life, I did Kiddush with wine. Kiddush means on Shabbat, on Friday night. I did it with wine. And he says, I had an old mother. And once, in order that we should have Kiddush, she sold her headscarf, a nice headscarf that she had. She sold it in order that we could do Kiddush. And the rabbis say when she passed away, she left. 300 b- barrels of wine or certain amounts of wine. They, were, they had money. And eventually, when this rabbi passed away, he was a young man when his mother passed away, but when he passed away, he left for his children 3,000 barrels of wine. Or maybe it's big storages of wine. Tremendously, he was very wealthy at the end of his life. So this rabbi, they asked him, how did you live long? And he gave a list of reasons. They go to the next rabbi, he's going to say different reasons. They go to the next rabbi, he says a different reason. How come? Because each one of these rabbis saw that this was the place that they went out of their way for 
even though it was very difficult for them to do. It's called in Hebrew vitu. They were able to compromise even when it was very difficult for them. So for the first story that I just told you about, he, he compromised because they, in, his, in his upbringing, they didn't even have enough clothing and his mother had to sell her clothing so that they could have wine for Shabbat. That's a tremendous sacrifice. When someone's able to do that, then God sacrifices for you and keeps you alive much longer than you need to be. Rav Huna, another story. There's another rabbi uh, where they came up to him and they asked him, how did you live long? Let me see where. So he, this rabbi, his name was Rav Huna. He would have a belt of straw. He was so poor that his belt was made with straw. He used real hay to make his belt. So his Rav, one of the rabbis came to him and said to him, what, why are you living like this? My high. How are you like this? He says to him, <clears throat> I didn't have Kiddush for Shabbat and I sold this belt. I used to have a belt and I sold it for Kiddush. It was a nice leather belt. I sold it for Kiddush. So the rabbi blessed him. He says, may it be the will of Hashem that you should be very wealthy and you should not only be wearing leather, he says to him, you should be wearing clothes of silk. You should be covered in silk. Very interesting story. So it says that Rav Huna, when he got older, Rav Huna was a short man and he already, his children got married. And when his, his daughter-in-laws came into the house, very interesting story here. When his daughter-in-laws came into the house, they took off their silk jackets. They were very wealthy already by that point, And he was an older man. They took off their silk jackets threw it onto the chair. Rav Huna was studying Torah and he was completely covered with this silk. And he, basically the story, the blessing came to reality. When he got old, he was covered in silk like the rabbi told him. May it be the will of Hashem that you'll be covered in silk. So when Rav, when Rabbi heard this story that he was, that the blessing came true, he got upset with him. Rabbi was the one that blessed him originally. He was the one that originally blessed Rav Huna and told him, may it be the will of God that one day you'll be wearing completely covered in silk. And this story, the, the blessing came true. So Rabbi came to him and he was upset with him. And he says to him, why did you, when I blessed you that you should be covered in silk, why didn't you say, similarly to you? There's a rule in Jewish teaching. When someone blesses you, Right in Hebrew, you say v'chen lemo, and so shall be for the one that says it. So if I let's say say to Eitan, you should be healthy, you should be strong, you should live a long life. So how do you respond back? You say v'chen lemo, so shall it be for the one that says. Whatever you bless me, I bless you back. So Rabbi was upset. He says to him, "Why didn't you say to me v'chen lemo? I am, I, I I gave you a blessing. You should have said." And so it should be back to you. But you didn't do that. And I wasn't merited to have so much wealth like you did. There's many, many stories here of people that had a long life. Should I continue? Rabbi Eliezer ben Shemua, another rabbi, they asked him, how did you live so long? So he says to them, 
I never went on a short path through the synagogue. I never made the shul a shortcut. Oh, if I walk through the synagogue and I get on the other side, it'll be easy for me. That will be my shortcut. Instead of going around the whole street, just walk through the synagogue. He never did that. He never made the synagogue a shortcut for him. If he had to go along a path, he'll go all the way around it, but never walk through a synagogue just to be used as a shortcut. He says, I also never stepped over the heads of the people that were studying Torah. So back in those days, they would sit and study Torah on the floor. Like it says in Pekei Avot, um, when it says that get dusty with the dust of the scholars. Why? Because they used to sit on the floor and the floor was filled with dust and everyone would study with, next to each other on the floor. So he says, I never stood, put, I never walked over the heads of someone that was studying. You know, when you have a big crowd of people on the floor sitting and studying, you might say, oh, okay, I need to get out. I need the bathroom. So you know what? I'll climb over someone. He never did that. Never in his life did he climb over someone's head. And he was a Kohen. He says, I never gave a blessing of the Kohen, a priestly blessing, without making a blessing first, without making a bracha first. All these things that they said were things that they went out of their way for. When he says that I didn't go the shortcut through the synagogue, probably because it was a time where he needed to go through the shortcut and it was extremely important. He had a very good excuse and yet he still didn't do it. Right? That was their unique qualities that they were what we call in Hebrew, moser nefesh. They gave over their soul in order not to do these things. They, were, they sacrificed a lot in order to not do these things. And because of that, they had long life. They asked Rabbi Prada, another rabbi. They said to him, how did you live long? He says, in my life, never did somebody come to the synagogue before me. I always was the first one then. And I never made a blessing in front of a coin. Meaning, before a coin. I'm not, I'm not sure what that means here. I think maybe it's the same as beforehand. Where I... Uh, I always made the blessing first. I also didn't eat from an animal that was given as a gift to the Kohen. It was meant to be given as a gift. I never ate from it. So another list of things. They asked another rabbi. They asked him, how did you live long? He says, I never succeeded. I never got successful in the fall of my friend. Meaning I never got honor through the fact that my friend fell or was lower down. It was never on the expense. That's the, wrong, that's the right word. I never succeeded on the expense of my friend. What does that mean? We'll see. And he says, I never went to sleep cursing out my friend. I never had in my heart a curse for my friend. I was never angry with my friend ever before I went to bed. Which, by the way, is a very important thing. Never go to sleep with an argument. According to Jewish teaching, we're meant to always say before we go to sleep, I forgive everyone that, I've, that has hurt me. 
right? Because that way you can sleep, leave this world in peace with the world. So never, especially in marriage, in a relationship, you never go to bed. This is where we get it from. If already with other people, you don't go to bed in an argument, all the more so with your own spouse, you don't go into bed in an argument. So they asked him, he says, I never was successful or honored in the expense of my friends. I never went onto my bed angry with my friends, cursing out my friends. And I compromised when it came to money. Whenever it came to money and there was an argument, I say, fine, you have it. I always compromised when it came to money. So when he says, I never got successful on the expense of my friends, he gave an example. He says, like once, there was this, like Rav Huna, who was once carrying a special type of axe. It was a big machine. And it wasn't respectful for him to carry it. So another rabbi came running to Rav Huna and says to him, hey, let me carry it. It was Rav Khana. He says to him, let me carry it. Why are you carrying this? I'll do it. So Rav Huna says, he says back to him, if in your town it's normal for you to carry this thing, then I let you do it. But if in your town it's not normal to carry this thing, then I'm not going to walk around letting you carry it and me just walking free. Meaning, I'm going to have respect on the, on, on the expense of you? No way. I'm going to give it over to you just because, and then you shouldn't be, then, so that I shouldn't be embarrassed, but you will? Uh, I'm going to carry it. That's what he said. I'll never, ever, and Rav Huna was the greatest, yet he never wanted to get respect on the expense of someone else. A very important lesson, by the way. Right? If you want somebody to help you or someone offers to help you, even a child, uh, at any point in your life, someone offers to help you, always ask, is it on the expense of that person? Is it that that person now, by helping me, they are belittling themselves? Are they embarrassing themselves for me? That's... That's something that's not healthy. Because the same way I don't want to be embarrassed with it, then why should they be? Never allow someone to be embarrassed for you or to take an embarrassment for you. Right? That's what he meant. So he says, I never went on my bed cursing my friends. That's like the teaching of Mazutra who said that when someone goes to bed, he should shari lelekol mandataran. I forgive. He should forgive. Let go. Forgiveness is called shari. Like I let go. Let go of anyone that's caused you pain. Anyone that's caused you pain before you sleep, you let it go. By the way, this is not somebody who needs to be rebuked. Right? There's some people that need to be told off. I gave a whole class on when to forgive, when you should forgive and when you shouldn't forgive. But you're basically, you're not meant to forgive someone that does something wrong. If they are doing something wrong, according to the Torah, then by you forgiving them, you're encouraging that behavior. Right? We spoke about this in the past. You're only meant to forgive in a case, sometimes you're actually meant to not forgive. Because when you do forgive, you're letting them continue that bad behavior. Forgiveness is not always something that we're meant to do. But in general, if it's necessary and you're able to forgive, then you should, like it says here, he forgave anyone that caused him problems. And that's what you should do at night. And also, 
I would compromise when it came to money. As it says, uh, it says by Eov that he was a person that gave it, he would always give compromise when it came to money. He would always give a tip to the shopkeeper. He would always leave extra money because he never wanted to be a person that lost in the deal or that caused the loss to someone else in a deal. He would rather them have the upper hand. Always. Okay. There's many, many stories. I'm not going to go through them all. But you see clearly, another rabbi says, I never got gifts. Also, I gave him money. Never, never took gifts. Uh, very. There's so many interesting things. I never... Oh, this is very interesting. Like Rabbi Liezer. Here's, here's a very interesting story. The, the leaders of the, of the people would give him many gifts. Mibay Nasir from the house of the Nasi. The, the leader of the Jewish people would give him many gifts. Rabbi Eliezer was a big tzaddik. And he would never take the gifts. So they invited him to a, a, you know, a conference meeting, a big, to speak. You know, you're the big rabbi, come. He would never go. He said, no, I can't go. I'm not going. So they said to him, they begged him and begged him until a point he says, listen, do you not know what it says in Kohelet? It says, that the person that hates gifts has a long life. It's told, if you hate gifts, you have a long life. There's sometimes where you should take a gift. Because when you take a gift from someone, right? then you're actually giving to them. By taking, you're giving to them. But there's many times where we take and we're actually not giving to that person that gives. We're actually causing them to really feel like they're giving. And that's not good. That they're, that they're being taken advantage from. That's not good. Someone who hates gifts lives long. So he says to them, you don't know that this verse, someone who hates gifts lives long, leave me alone. There was another rabbi, Rabbi Zera, that he would also be given lots of gifts. He would never take the gifts. But when they ordered, when they asked him to come to the conference, he said, yes, he would. Why? Because he said, that is not a gift to me. They are taking from me because they feel like there's an honor if I go. So when I go to that event and I'm sitting there, they're happy that I came. So actually, that's a benefit for them. Not for me. I don't like it. I don't want this honor. But when I go, it, they feel like I'm honoring them and they're happy. So actually, I'm giving to them. You see, whenever I'm giving, then it's good. When I'm taking, it's not good. So, he's, so that was another reason one rabbi said that, that I lived long. They asked another rabbi, why did you live long? Oh, one, I'm a lot. Oh, it's a, a very interesting uh, uh, a reason. Oh, because I was mavir al midotav. I always gave in when I came into an argument. I, I always gave in. And someone who overcomes their temptations and gives in when it comes to arguments or whatever it is on, on your personality, when you're able to overcome arguments in terms of your personality then God also overcomes himself 
on you because, you know, sometimes we do the wrong thing. So just like you overcame with others and you didn't get angry with them, so too does God overcome with you. And he's over al-pesha. He ignores the wrong that you did, just like you ignored the wrong that others did to you. Okay, so... There's many, many stories, very, very interesting. But what we see here clearly is that the cause of good, the cause of good is not simply a physical cause. We have to look and say, okay, why did this person live long? They lived long physically because they were healthy. They were careful and they were cautious with themselves for sure. But there's another deeper reason behind it. What's the spiritual reason? And that's what we need to be doing is asking ourselves in every situation, what's the spiritual reason behind it? Whether it's successful or not successful, we need to ask, what is the cause behind it? What's the spiritual DNA behind it? Because that's what we want to have. We want to look into the spiritual behind the physical and see what is that cause. Just like Rabbi Akiva did. Okay. It's 9.10 already. But uh, that's this week's Torah portion as well. This week's Torah portion is about leprosy, Lashonara. It's called Metzorah. Metzorah is Motsi Shemra. Someone who, who talks and brings out a negative name about somebody else. Says something negative about someone. It causes him to have a bad name. Today, it's very common online. Very easy. The minute someone does something slightly wrong, says something wrong, his life is ruined. Someone once said, I think it was Rabbi Sachs who once said, it's an unforgiving culture. The minute I go into a restaurant, I don't like the food, I, I'll, I'll write a bad review. What about the guy who's been working for years to build his business? Never mind. I don't like his food, bad review. Right? It's an unforgiving culture. The minute that the person has a bad review or a, a negative post about him online, okay, so he made a mistake. He was the... the, the I don't know. They were being slightly rude. doesn't mean that they need to be embarrassed on Twitter and publicized to the entire world and have a million views. It's unfair. Right? It's an unforgiving culture. So that's called Motsi Shemra. That's actually forbidden. You have to be very careful when you post a negative review about someone. If it's about a company, it's a different story. But about a person directly posting their face and their video of them doing something wrong is, is not really the way that we should be. We should be thinking 10 times before we post something like that. And that's called Motsi Shemra. What's the cure? You go alone. The cure to Lashonara is actually quarantine, like we are, most, many of us are in today, right? To go in quarantine, to be alone. Why? Because Midakeneged everything in Judaism is measure for measure. Exactly what you wanted on that person is exactly how Hashem brings back to you. So leprosy, the, the way to heal leprosy is to be alone, to be quarantined. You're contagious. And when a person's alone, what happens? You start realizing that's exactly what I wanted for that person. When I, when I caused them a sense of defamation, I caused them a bad name. So what I did was I excluded them from society. My job of Lashonara, of Motsi Shemra, is literally to put that person alone. 
What does Hashem do? He says, oh, that's what you wanted for them. That's exactly what happens back to you. Quarantine. We are also placed alone. And that's midah keneged midah. So, you know, lashonara, gossip is obvious when it's in front of the person. But when it's not in front of the person, it's not so obvious. Why is it so bad? To a point where it says, en lo chelek ba, person that does that without asking forgiveness doesn't have a portion in the world to come. Causing someone else an embarrassment is a form of killing them. It's not that you kill them literally, but it's a form of killing them. The azil sumka ve'ati chivra, it says in the Talmud, which means that the blood gets drawn and then the body goes white, starts off red, and then it goes white because blood has been drawn. It's a nuance of killing, according to Jewish teaching. And therefore, a person who does that has no portion in the world to come. He must immediately ask forgiveness and work towards becoming better in this regard. This is a very, obviously, there's always room for teshuva, repentance. But a person needs to get out of it. This is a negative environment to be in. A person must not be in it. But when a person's not round, he's not there, you might say, what's wrong with that? That's, the Talmud said, it's like idol worship. Because it's not about the person, it's about the oneness that we feel with people. We are in this world to become one with each other. God put us in this world, He is one. God is infinite. But He put us into a world where it is finite, where it's kind of broken. There's good here, there's bad here, there's confusion here, there's, everything's broken. And our job in this world is to bring that oneness of God. Many times people see bad in the world, they say, there's no God. Why? Because the world is so broken. How can there be a oneness of God? That's, it's like idol worship. Idol worship, what was idol worship? Where I'd say that there's a power, there's a strength for water. And there's another power called fire. There's wind. There's, how can they, they are, these are opposing energies. How can they all be part of one? Right? That's the physical world. I see that there's lots of opposing energies. How can they all be one? So I come to serve each one of them. There's a God of fire. There's a God of water. There's a God. That's how idol worship works. So in this world, the way that we see the physical world seems like there's many different powers. And what we as humans have to do is bring them back together as one. That's, that's the power of the human being. We have the koach, we have the strength to do that through, as a human. To bring us together, just like what God is one, we have to be one as well. It says, God, the Torah, and the Jewish people are all one. What does that mean? That we're all aiming for this oneness. That's, that's the goal, is to aim for oneness. That's why giving is such an important aspect in this world. Because what we're doing is we're bringing oneness. That's, that's the goal of humanity. So that's why it says that someone who speaks Lashonara, gossip, is like, it's a nuance of killing. It's also, if, if you embarrass the person, but it's also a nuance of idol worship. Why idol worship? Because you're causing separation in the world. Just like idol worship tries to do. 
is causing a separation in the world by saying that there's more than one God. What we're doing in this world when we speak Lashonara is also causing separation between humanity. And we've got to bring us together. Okay. So there's much more that we could speak about, but I think that's it for today. And I'm so glad that you're all here and listening. And may we all come to this oneness together and have long life, longevity. Amen. May there be something that you are willing to sacrifice um, because that could be your key to success and long life like all these rabbis that sacrifice something for the good. Um, but what is it? What is it that you're willing to sacrifice for the good? Because that will be your key to longevity. Okay, so what we thank you, thank you. Just, just to... to to recap a little bit, what we spoke about is the plague of Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva, 24,000 students, he lost his students. He didn't look at the plague. He looked at the cause behind it, the spiritual DNA behind it. And that was because because they got so strong between them and God, they got weaker between them and other humans. And that's exactly the right timing of between Passover and and Shavuot, it's the counting the Omer. We're getting closer to God, but then we also have the challenge of neglecting other humans. And then we went into the whole idea of plagues and the whole idea of looking into the, the spiritual behind the physical, not blaming the physical. That's just the symptom. If somebody's got a bad leg, there's a spiritual reason behind the bad leg. Right? If someone's got a bad Pain, there's a spiritual reason behind that pain. It's not a physical cause. There's something deeper behind it. And we spoke about leprosy and how the Torah gives us a cure, but a different cure than a physical one. It could have, God created the world. He could have easily written a physical cure, but the physical cure is not the problem. There's a spiritual problem behind it. Just like Hiskia the king who hid his book of healings. And then we spoke about a whole list of rabbis that lived long. And they asked them, how did you live long? Because they sacrificed something. And when you sacrifice something that you're willing to live for, you can live, you can get blessed for it. But they, they didn't look and say, oh, I lived long because of physicality. They all gave spiritual reasons to their longevity. And that reason for that is, is because when you, when you live that lifestyle, when you live a spiritual life, then the cause behind everything isn't a physical cause. You see the deeper reasons behind it. You know why I lived long? Yeah, I was healthy. I followed the health rules, of course. But I also lived long because I was, I never called people names. I did spiritual things. I always did kiddush or whatever it was that they were sacrificing. When, when I see myself in a spiritual lens, then I can say that's the reason of my success. Not my physical success. That's how I need to look at my life. And that is also connected to Motsi Shemra, Lashon Hara, Gossip. It's all, all connected as well um, because they would get the leprosy and the way to heal them was not a physical one. The way to heal them was a physical one. Oh.